Welcome to Jobs for Women, a podcast and free members club where we help you navigate life and work and get the salary you deserve. We bring you raw conversations with real women navigating the work world. Expect expert advice, solutions, driven content and access to our free members club. We're not just talking change, we are making it happen. Be part of the movement. I'm so happy you're here. So this episode with Cheryl Thompson was so much fun and for me, so interesting. I learned a lot and it really opened my eyes up to autism. So Cheryl was diagnosed autistic last year and she talks extensively about what that was like for her, how she thinks her diagnosis has impacted her career, but also how she believes that her autism and ADHD are her superpowers. She talks a lot about different traits that an individual with neurodiversity might have. We talked a lot about leadership. She is a leadership coach. Um, so you'll learn what it's like to receive a neurodiverse diagnosis mid-career. And so many women that I speak to in the community on LinkedIn and on other platforms say they suspect they have either ADHD or autism or something else. And I think these conversations really open that up to, to maybe people feeling a bit more confident to either go out and get a diagnosis or either speak to work about it. Cheryl talks a lot about how if you are a leader in an organization, how you can, you know, prioritize understanding the people in your team, really get to know them and make sure that you are offering this psychological safety in the workplace to make it more inclusive. So whether you listen to this podcast as a woman and you just want to, you want advice, Cheryl offers both sides of the coin. So if you are leading a team, which a lot of us might be that are listening, you'll get some tips from Cheryl on that. But also on the flip side, if you think you have autism or ADHD, you're going to find this so interesting. Or if you've got family or friends that have, I promise you will learn something. So enjoy. I am delighted and really excited about a chat to welcome Cheryl Thompson to the podcast. Cheryl is a leadership coach. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm I'm smiling this much because we had a sneaky chat beforehand and we were laughing and having good fun. So that's why I already looked sort of really engaged. (laughs) Well, honestly, it's such a pleasure to have you here. And off the pod chat, it was funny because Cheryl and I could have just chat, chat, chat. And then I was like, I better hit record. Um, So it's going to be a good one. You have such incredible experience. Obviously, we're here to talk about Uh, neurodiversity and your recent diagnosis but let's just kick start can you give us a background about obviously you're now a leadership coach you have many hats but what is your background Uh, financial services so my first job well my first job was in a shoe shop but that's not what that was a part-time job my first proper job when you become a alleged grown-up um I was a bank manager so straight out of university, applied for a job, became bank manager. I'd worked in banks before part, before I went to uni. Um, my mum was in banking. So I'd always been around finance. Um, and finance was always important to me, especially for women, because I don't think women take an, a good enough, forward enough role in their own finances. And they often gift away that power to someone else. And we need more women owning their own wealth. So it was always a real big... Um, interest for me but it was always management always leadership and always working out what type of leader I wanted to be from the very start and then also and this is the geeky part of me compliance and regulation 
I love, it sounds really weird to say I love rules, but you've got to know the rules, enjoy the rules to know how far you can push the rules. So actually rules are really important. They're like boundaries, they're like just clarity for people. So I was also in compliance regulation, worked at the financial ombudsman, and then was in consultancy as well, but always financial services, always money. Money awesome. and management. Money and management. Do you know what's so inc incredibly interesting? The way you enjoy rules, that is that is fascinating to me. But also the spin on it that you said, you know how far you can push them. That is brilliant. You've got to know how where the, the line is to be able to toe the line without yeah. breaking any, you know, without going over it. But if you don't know them, then you'll never know how safe or unsafe you are. And for me, safety is important for everybody. Children need rules. You know, like when we're growing up, we need rules. Doesn't mean don't break them. You just need to know what they are. Yeah. By the way, I never broke compliance rules. <laughs> so a career in finance. I, I, that, I just want to go back to your point, actually. Uh, we've I've recorded a few podcast uh, episodes. My friend is an angel investor. She talked about like the lack of opportunity for women, how how as young girls were sort of told that maths isn't for girls and you know, finances. And we've got so much that we need to change about that. Did what about you at school? Did you Excel in maths was that like your thing? No, weird. I was in the top set for maths, um, but I had that same problem. I was told I wasn't very good at maths, and I still would say if someone said to me now, I'd be like, I'm, I'm no good at maths. I panic at maths. But what I was good at, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at basic maths, should I say? Because I won't even try. And I've always been of the opinion someone else play to your strengths. So if that's not my strength. Someone else can do it. But what I was always great at at school and in life and in business was, how do I explain, almost, well, I've just said it, the rules. You know, do you remember at school you used to do um, exception to the rule and you had to find the rule of rules and then try and break the rule of rules? Mm -hmm. I was the only one that could ever do that. So I always had a logic and a system. Everything I do is systemized, even if it's up here. So you you might not see something, but I am working things out. I'm like, oh. And that's what you do and you do that. And when you do that, you do that. And then that over there. And then that. So I've like got this inner thing, like calculating stuff as it goes along. So anything where you had to deduce, anything where you had to weigh things up, balance things, data. I love data. I love, um, I, I always loved maths because of its, what I thought is, was its purity. And then when I got into business, I realized how manipulated maths could be. So you've got to, again, know the system and play the game in the right way that is so yeah. fascinating i think you need to write a book have you written a book <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, i'm only laughing because it sounds really arrogant to say it's this, so interesting um, sorry i think we talked over uh, I think so you're so you're yeah we did we definitely had a little bit my wi-fi i just i've just published another podcast today and i had to say there's some tech nightmares in here but we're just going to roll with it um, so talk to me, leadership. I It's funny for me, leadership. I don't, you know, when you get asked questions on surveys, like, are you a natural leader? I'm always like a bit indifferent. I don't know. But you mentioned earlier that, you know, that, that early leadership path and uh, bank manager. And obviously your LinkedIn is brilliant. And I love your bio, coaching accidental managers into intentional leaders. That is brilliant. Talk to us. What, what, what does that mean? Well, to go back to your first bit about, you know, when you said about asking, um, responding to surveys, are you a natural leader? My personal opinion is every single human on the planet is a natural born leader because leading is leading ourselves. You lead, 
If you leave nobody else in your life, please lead yourself. And what I say to my stepchildren, because they'll, my stepson, who's the most gentle of souls, and he'll say, Cheryl, but I don't want to be a boss of anyone else. And I'll be like, I don't want you to be a boss of anyone else, but I want you to be the boss of you. And my job is to show you how to be the boss of you. Because if you're not the boss of you, someone else will take that job like that. And then all you'll be is a follower all your life. I said, and how do you know what you want? How does that person know what you want? Only you know you really deeply. So start being self-led. So that's what I say to all people when they say to me, oh, I'm not, I couldn't be a manager. You already are, babes. You already are. You manage yourself. So it's that bit. And, and I think if you can manage others how you would manage yourself, or even better, because we tend to be quite bad about ourselves, quite self-critical. If you can manage people so well and care about their needs, then you'll be the best manager they've ever had. Most people manage to tasks or outcome. Um, and that's, don't get me wrong, you need to do that, but you need to manage humans first. But then coming back to how are we, you know, turning accidental leader, managers into intentional leaders, we've got a, a problem in the UK with management. Years back, decades back, we used to be the epitome of service and management. People used to come from around the world to learn from us as managers. We were, we didn't necessarily have products, we had services that we managed. And so people coveted these positions, they wanted to be in them. And somehow that's fallen away. We've stopped caring as much. And America and other places around the world are now taking over. So in the UK, what's happening is people are just falling into positions because they're either good at what they did. So you might be a brilliant technical person. And someone goes, oh, you're great at that. Can you just manage these other five people to do that? And they're like, um, well, I know how I do it, but how am I meant to tell them how to do it? And then we've got legacy issues of poor management where they think, well, if I just sort of puff my chest out a bit and shout a bit, and get mad when I don't get what I want, because I had a manager that, that did that when I was 20. Surely that's what they want me to do. Or they go the opposite way and go, I never want to be that asshole. So I'll be so nice and kind and just let them have whatever they want and never tell them anything horrible because I don't want to upset anyone. So they're all accidental leaders, people just winging it through life that have been good at one thing and have been given a role because of it. To be a good leader, you need to understand the human, not the technical aspect. So things like, I hate this term, by the way, soft skills. It actually makes me want to pull out my insides. It's just such an undermining, delegitimizing way of describing a really powerful set of skills, soft skills. Um, but it is those human-focused skills. Do you hear people? When you're talking to them, do you connect with them heart to heart? Do you look them in the eye? I mean, bear in mind, we're talking about neuro neurodiversity here. I don't always look people in the eye and I don't always feel comfortable with it. But when someone's bearing their soul to me, I'll make sure I either look at them or I'll communicate that I'm not looking at them, but that's nothing about them. It's everything about me. And it doesn't mean that I'm not hearing them. So it's having that ability to be able to understand the human. And how many people get trained on that? None. Exactly. How many people get, you know, sat down and go, I, I often speak to managers and I'll go, do you care about your team? And they go, what? Do you care about them? Do you care about the condition of them being human and safe and happy and fulfilled and doing their best? Um, I think you want me to say yes. It's almost like they've never thought about that. I deeply care about everybody I work with or I don't work with them. Mm. And then the rest flows. When you care, the rest flows. But most people don't know what type of leader they want to be. They don't know what type of leader they don't want to be. They don't know how to get there. They, they've never even thought about leadership as a skill set. They've just thought about it as a job that I get paid for. So many people just want the title manager 
without knowing actually that it, it's a hard job and it you know you get a lot of kick-ins with it and you have to make some very difficult decisions and you have to hurt people sometimes for the right reasons people get hurt but as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and you can explain that so I turn these people and I make them conscious conscious of their management and some people at the end of it go I don't want to do this it's not for me good move over you know go and do a job you love yeah. and let someone else do it so it's about having an intention and then from that place you know who the by the way I didn't ask at the beginning of this can I swear because I'm a bit sweary yes yes you can swear. <laughs> so then you know who the fuck you are is basically yeah. what I was going to say you know who the fuck you are and you can turn up as that person no fear no hiding no threat that's the type of people that I create that I think there's so many people listening that will be like light bulbs for so many reasons. First of all, I in my my peer group in our 20s, you just want to climb those salary rungs, don't you? How can I earn more money? And then, like you say, you go for the title. But I don't think anyone stops to exactly what you've just said then. It sounds simple coming at it from the human approach, but I don't think anyone has ever really stepped back and thought about that because we're so led by the career trajectory or getting on the next rung of the ladder. But And I love that when you work with them, some of them say, nah, not for me, because you've opened their eyes up to what being a manager is. That is so brilliant. And the harm you can do if you don't care enough. Like if you're not doing this for the right reasons at the right time with the right people, you will damage other people. We've all got scars of bad bosses, all mm -hmm. of us. Now, do you want to be that person? Do you want to be a scar for someone else? Because that terrifies me, doing harm. The thought of doing harm to somebody because I just didn't have the courage to do the right career path. No, not for me. And it's yeah. funny because when I was in my 20s and got offered my first management job, which was before the bank manager, it was in the part-time. It wasn't part-time, but it was before I went to university. They didn't know I was saving up to go to uni. And they offered me two promotions. I worked on counter and they said, you can either go to be a bank manager or you can go to be an independent financial advisor. And this company was ahead of it it was way back when and I was basically being offered 90 grand when I was 24 and I resigned wow. and, and my dad fell out with me for years he was like what and I went if I'm that good I'll get a job after uni um but I remember I took what I said I would do is I resigned but I gave them a long notice and I said I will work for a period of time and I remember thinking I earn loads of money already doing things my way not having to care about other people's targets not having to care about whether they've gone on lunch at the right time not having to care about what the performance review looks like I can just serve myself why would I take a management job and so I became intentional I, I literally did a SWOT analysis on the job I've got and the job where I could be going and so for me, it wasn't ever about the money and getting more and more money because I turned that down. I was willing to walk away from the money. Money can trap you. That's what you've got to be careful of. Money's great. It's wonderful. But if it traps you into a job that you hate, then it's actually not worth having. You've got to have that liberation, that human liberation and be able to go for what's right and actually trust yourself that you can earn the money doing what you love. <laughs> Don't self-sabotage by putting yourself into a like a box. But I remember sitting and doing this SWOT analysis of both jobs. And what I realized was money was out of the question. That didn't matter. But I could add so much value by teaching people things and modeling behavior and empowering people and unshackling them and giving them their like what they loved because fun was always really important to me. Don't turn up for eight hours and have like the worst time ever. You know, laugh, you know, be silly. You know, respect each other, understand each other. And that's what I did before I left. I taught them how to do that. And I told them I will be leaving. So 
this won't be on me, but this is on you. You need to learn how to do this for yourself and then take that wherever you go. Yeah, that is, honestly, that is so interesting. And I love that you did the SWOT analysis. Did anyone tell you to do that or did you just think of that? No, I'm just a geek. I've always been a geek. <laughs> I've always then, wanted, I'm always like a balancer and risk, working things out and comparing things and analysing things. I'm just a bit of a weirdo. I think... Um, I think people really resonate to what you're talking about. I, like I said earlier, light bulb moments, you know, like when you th people might be listening, thinking I am locked in to this job mm. for money. Yeah. And I think it'll just make people start to think a bit differently. So obviously we're here talking about inclusivity, neurodiversity. Talk to us off the pod. We talked about um, your quite recent, how recent your diagnosis. Talk to us about that. Was it last summer? So last summer, and I would have guessed I had ADHD but only just more lately in life. But then when it came back that I had ADHD tendencies, but I was absolutely autistic, I was like, oh, that surprised me a bit. And I still think I have ADHD. <laughs> Even though they said tendencies, I'm like, I don't think you're right. Two psychiatrists, I'm telling them they're wrong. Um, because I think for me, one cancels out the other, depending upon what's going off in my world. And because I think at the time of having this conversation, I was in a place where rules and you see they're just normal for me but I can also have like off the wall you know pings and unpredictability lots of like knee-jerk unpredictability which I love too but um so yes it was last summer for me when I got got diagnosed I'm not an expert about it I can't tell you that I've you know like I, I, I started to go down a rabbit hole with it and then actually I thought this is going to end up boxing me up if I go down a rabbit hole because all I'm reading is other people's views of it and actually quite outdated information because women with neurodiversity aren't researched enough so I've got the best case example and it's me so I'll just and I know me yeah you know, I already know me so I, I refrained from going down a rabbit hole with it intentionally um, and it's interesting because years back I've always worked with neurodiverse people and always been really drawn to them um at school I remember you know like I was talking to my sister about dyslexia because my niece is dyslexic and I knew about dyslexia yonks back because I used to see people taking yellow pieces of exam papers and I think why's your paper yellow and mine's not you know and so I'd go and ask them go why did you have a yellow exam paper and they thought I've got dyslexia and what does that help with how does the yellow make a difference or the blue or so I've always been curious. I've always asked questions and been curious and being kind with that. Asked, asked from a place of love, not of you're a weirdo. And to be fair, I've always loved weirdos anyway. So for me, I wouldn't have been, I'm like, ooh, what does that mean? Um, so I always was like drawn to these people. At work, the analytical, leave me alone, want to sit in a room and just get my shit done. People were always my people. They were the most reliable. They might not want to laugh and joke and be silly. I don't care. You put something in front of them and it came back when they said on time in the right way. Or it had come back in a totally different way, but you were like, nailed it. I'd not even thought about that. I love what you've done here. So I always liked those people. And I remember thinking, God, it'd be ace to be neurodiverse, which I know sounds really weird because I never, I never meant I wanted to be. Um, and I love the the way people's heads thought at work, sorry. But then it was a, a problem that I had in my personal life that made me go and get made made me say to someone, This isn't working, something's going off and I can't explain it. And it was sensory overwhelm in my personal life. And that's what made me go and speak to someone. And then when it all tumbled out, 
all the things that I think are amazing. And, and I think I said to this before we pressed um, record, so I'm just going to say it again. All the things that earned me a shed load of money in my whole life, when we talked it through, she, it was basically they were all my autistic traits. So my understanding the rules, understanding systems, building my own, building them for me, helping you understand you so you could build your own. How could we come together with our own unique systems so we could make a collective of systems that worked for everybody? All of that, timing things. I'm obsessed with timing things. Like how long did it take you to do that? Hmm. I wonder if there's a different way we could do it so we could do it quicker. What would we lose if we did it quicker? You know, all those type, all of that apparently is my autistic side of things processes system building things improving on them if they're not broken don't fix them as well all autism so when she said it to me i was like i have made a lot of money from being that person an awful i said so i wouldn't want to ever give it back and she, you know, she actually said to me the poster girl for autism <laughs> and i was like thanks very much <laughs> well that she literally took the words i was like that is your superpower and you literally because we're having these conversations um to and, and we have like outreach with colleges and schools and unis and it's kind of like how can we have these honest conversations to inspire people and realize that it can be their superpower and I just love that line it's made me a shed ton of money I mean how good is that and when wow. you talk with your analytical mind it makes me think god I wish I was more like that like how incredible that your brain works in that way can we do it in a different way? How long did yeah. it take you? I'm fascinated by that. Have you always been like that? Yeah, always. As, as long as I can remember anyway. I mean, if my sister was here, she's my older sister, I would say she's like crazy like that. Really, really, like everything. She she can't sit in the house without going, why has nobody designed something that does that? I always say to her, she'd followed one of her ideas. And, and the difference is she's got, she she had took a different career path and was a scuba diving instructor for years, just went off, you know, so for a decade was out. If she'd stayed and just took one of her ideas seriously and followed it through, I truly believe she'd be a ridiculous millionaire, more billionaire, because she comes up with some things that then six months, a year, two years later, someone follows through on. And I'm like, you came up with that. You should have done that. So I suppose the difference is, I think what can be challenging when you've got that kind of mind is knowing which thread to follow. And sometimes that can become overwhelming. I know that, like I say, with my sister, this incredible woman, incredible woman, intelligent, intuitive, thoughtful. She doesn't, she hasn't followed a thread yet because she's probably got that much going off. And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's being able to go, I'm going to take a punt on this. And if it doesn't work, I'll try another one, but I'm going to shut those 10 out or a hundred, depending on and this one and it's true it's funny saying this one I've always got about 10 things on the go at one you know 10 stuff at work I would be like that 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 that. but you've got to find your own capacity limit and I know what mine is and if I go over that everything breaks but it's all about knowing yourself and not letting someone else tell you who you are or shame you for who you are because when you've got a different when you've got a brain that works differently to the vast majority people tell you you're wrong they'll tell you you're weird and somehow you've got to find it in you to just almost like let it just all right all right mate <laughs> you know and just keep going I think that was what was different for me I didn't care for other people's opinions yeah. I was all right with or without you and when we're thinking about workplaces because obviously this is becoming 
you know, topical, we're having these open conversations that we weren't having years ago. Same with women's health, you know, the same, no one talked about it, everyone just got on with it. How can workplaces start to recognise, understand it and see it as a superpower and get more neurodiverse people in? The thing is, is I think they've already got the neurodiverse people in, those neurodiverse people are just pretending not to be. So they're all there. They all exist. They're just hiding or they don't even know it themselves. But what I always say is if you're going to be a human focused leader, which is actually the first place where I come from, not neurodiversity, then neurodiversity doesn't even, don't be wrong, it does need to be talked about. But it shouldn't need to be talked about because we'd all care about our individuality mm-hmm. and your individuality and your differences. Something I push all the time is we wouldn't be having world wars and issues if we all respected and loved differences instead of being afraid of them. So what typically happens in 80s and 90s management is we just wanted more of the same. So that's why people had biases and they recruited for who looked like them and who felt like them. But actually what we need to do is go, I don't need to have another 10 of me. That would be painful to have another 10 of me. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have one of you and one of you and one of you and work out how how you bring those people together. But often it starts in school and parenting when we just swap one person out for the other where they just tell us to be ultra compliant with sameness we just want the sameness and we don't so actually what i would say to businesses is your your neurodiverse people already exist but you're just limiting them you're shackling them because you only allow them to be the same as the person next to them and it's spending so much energy of theirs trying to work out how to be the same as something they don't even understand that's unreasonable so how about just unshackling and letting people be who they are and creating safety psychological safety that's but that doesn't have to be neurodiversity. That could be it's just human. That's the thing. It, it 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 does need talking about, but it doesn't need to be the be all and end all. You just need to let people be who they are. Yeah, and that leads me to my next question was, you know, how can managers support neurodiver- neurodiverse individuals? But it's you've answered the question because of your human approach huh? that then comes out because if you're looking after the human in your team then that relationship I guess grows and do you think individuals then feel if they're managed in such a way you know the approach that you take do you think that they're more open to share if they're neurodiverse yeah I think they would um there's two things I wanted to answer here though but what I just wanted to quickly jump on with the people having the courage to share about their neurodiversity I'll be really quick I was in a Starbucks I don't go to Starbucks anymore, but I was in a, I'm boycotting Starbucks. But months ago, I was in a, or years ago, I was in a Starbucks and um, the woman behind the counter, I could hear her getting told off by a manager and it was really inappropriate because we could all hear. And this girl just clammed up. So when I went to the cup to give my coffee cups back, I said, are you okay? And she was like, like looked shocked. I said, "I, I overheard that, but I didn't need to try. It was blatantly loud, intentionally loud. Are you okay? And she ended up just tumbling out. She said, I'm, I keep getting told off for being late, but I've got ADHD. And I said, does your manager know you've got ADHD? Absolutely not. I can't tell her. And I went, legally, you can tell her. It's a protected characteristic. I said, it's Equality Act 2010. I said, you can tell her. I said, and actually, they need to respond to you. It's almost saying I'm in a wheelchair, but I can't tell anybody because what if they treat me differently? They can't. They can only treat you fairly according to your needs. And I said, and I know this. I said, I just want you to have the safety that, actually you'll be more protected if you go and explain about this condition whether it's self-diagnosed or doctor diagnosed please go and sit down and speak to her 
And she was like, I can't believe it. So even having this conversation with somebody, and I said, and then just make sure you're okay. I said, that should never have happened. And feel, ne if it happens again, have the courage to say, do you mind if we have this conversation in private? You know, that's okay. But so often people think that they're a burden or they're a problem or they're going to get legal, you know, they're going to get sacked. You can't. And if you are, you've got a real good legal case to go and do something about it. So I just think people need to know that there are laws out there protecting disability and we should be standing up for people with that neurodiversity or with any level of disability, whether it's physical or, or, or hidden disability, and actually say, no, we need to make adjustments and that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to do. It's not, a, oh, God, I've got to do this. It's the right thing to do. So I think people need to know that they are more empowered than they realise they are. And I can't even think what the other... <laughs> was I was gonna say so don't mind that one don't worry that story was just bloody amazing you probably changed her life forever just having that reassurance and someone a asking if she was okay like literally tugged at my heartstrings because it's all right not to be as we know but you just passed on that nugget of information which will change her whole career and life I emailed so well books as well I emailed awesome. afterwards I didn't say anything derogatory or whatever, just said I observed a situation and I think you need to think about working with your managers more about, that's what I was going to say, by the way, how to actually manage people is human first and the way you do it is having curiosity and interest. So you don't have to have all the answers, but you can just say, tell me more about you. Tell me more about what makes you tick. Tell me why you walk into this building instead of the one across the street. You know, why did you pick this job? Did you just fall into this job? You know, just talk to them. You don't need to have any answers. You just need to have a, an interest in the person sat in front of you. That's how we get people talking. So you go into company. I mean, I bet I bet they're all like having those light. I keep going on about light bulbs, but I bet they're like, oh, we've not been doing this. Oh, that's how you do it. Do you have a lot of that when you're in these companies? Yeah, and I think I think it's really easy because to me, being human just is easy and I'm interested in everybody. You know, like every single human, I'm like, ooh, tell me about you. So I think that's natural, but I think sometimes people are scared of asking questions. I was raised as a little girl to ask as many questions as I wanted to without fear. You know, I was never sure. When I hear people say, just because, you know, like to children, I'm like, no, don't do that. You know, or don't ask any more questions. No, do, even if it makes you as a parent uncomfortable, because otherwise we shut people down. But yeah, when I go into these businesses, because I'm just, I'm basically unpeeling the layers and layers of bullshit adults get put on them. Let's go back to that kid's way of working, because kids are actually really intuitive, you know, and we, we over socialize and we over correct and polite, make things too polite. So I help people just unpack it all. And I suppose if we're, because I can relate to that, like I, I do think kids are bloody amazing and they can teach us so much. And I love that you, that's what makes you unique though, that you ask those questions and you're, in, you're genuinely interested. Um, but I do think, you know, when you look at bureaucracy or whatever's going on in organisations, if there's been this approach or way of working where it's all shut down and, you know, you've just got to tick a box. You can see how companies must almost get stuck in a rut. Like, a, 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 this is our culture and this is how we work. So mm -hmm. you going in to unpack that with them must mm -hmm. be really transformative. It's powerful, yeah. And it's it's vulnerable as well. It's quite scary. And, and often why businesses don't do it is because they don't manage time well enough. Because I'm a programme director by trade, so project management and working on lots of different work streams, lots of things going at once, is my skill set. 
and, and building things. And what I always say is you need to factor in People always condense time and go, oh, we can get that done in five days. You can't, mate. You just, even if you can, why do that? Because then we'll have this process of reevaluation. And so you've always got to manage time better and understand the skill set, understand the experience levels of your team. And, and I always say build more fat in than people build in because people are trying to impress you. So just stick, you know, like if someone says five days, I'll go, okay, and put another two days in it because it allows them to mess up then. And actually failing, messing up, tripping up, is incredible as long as you've got time to recover from it and we don't build in that time where we go okay so how did it feel when you got that wrong horrible yeah yeah. where did you feel it in my stomach I thought it was going to be sick mm -hmm. do you want to feel like that way again shit no right okay so let's look at where it went wrong let's look at all the things we could have done differently let's look at all your spheres of control and then let's make sure that next time you know what to do differently so you never feel that way again how would you want to feel instead how would you feel if it had all gone right and so do it, having all those coaching conversations with our team is a natural part of leadership. And if we're not doing it, we're not leading, we're dictating. But that is what all managers and leaders should be doing, helping people evaluate who they are, what they do, why they do it and how they can do it differently. So it impacts them and, you know, their workplace better. This, and is, this is, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no I'd finish, you go. Um I think this is so interesting for because we have loads of different age ranges that we work with. But for those in early career, I think this is so fascinating because I didn't know what made a good manager. I know I know what made a shit manager. But, you know, <laughs> for people listening in their early career, knowing what makes a good manager and the way you're describing. I mean, this is this is simple stuff. Asking someone how it felt and how do they want to feel next time? I think for people listening in their early career, understanding what's good and what's not good and you know, asking for a decent manager or saying that they're not being managed properly is really powerful. And also people listening that are managers like, hello, wake <laughs> up. This is, this is the approach that you need to take. Yeah. Um, so what's what just really quickly, because I know we've got to wrap up soon. How has your diagnosis affected? Like, obviously, you've got your own coaching business and you're smashing it. You've got you've had a, an impressive career today. You've earned amazing money. How has the diagnosis affected like where you're going and where you want to take your business it's interesting because I'm still in I'm still discovering that I'm still in an exploration part of that and I go up and down with how I feel about it some days I think I wish I'd never found out which is weird because actually now I make so many accommodations self-accommodations so if, I wear headphones most of the time because um, hearing is a real sensory problem for me um and and touches a lot of sensory things actually you know and I've always I, I always had them and I always accommodated them and I never apologized for them so where I would sit in an office happened so I said I'm going to sit here with my team and people are, oh I want to sit there not happening that's where we sit and I was really because I knew I couldn't be in the middle of stuff I had to have a back against the wall I had to have I, and it was all to do with this sensory overwhelm to so I could reduce things coming at me I didn't have anything behind me I don't like stuff like that but now I almost know what it is I'm like oh it's because of that I've almost sat into it more and gone well that's right I've almost allowed it even more or at the beginning I did um and now like I've, I don't know where my loops are you know the little loops that you put in your ear I'm almost mm -hmm. permanently having them in so when I walk around I've got them in because I want everything to be just a bit smaller so at first I was a bit, this is not good. I feel like I'm almost becoming more autistic. 
because of the diagnosis. But in fairness, that was just temporary. I think that was just a leveling thing, you know, like where you're just working stuff out. Um, so how it's actually impacted me. If I'm honest, me, it hasn't changed the way I saw other people because I've always seen people as individuals. I've always valued differences. I've always respected them. Um, it's recorrected what I thought autism was. I thought I knew what ADHD was, and I think I was right. Autism, I was still from the, like, the Rain Man era, you know, where I was like, well, I can't count loads of sticks on a floor or whatever. <laughs> so it's helped me go, oh, and the amount of people I speak to, and they go, you're autistic. You don't even seem a bit autistic. And I'm like, and then when I tell them things that they just don't see, even friends, I mean, good friends have gone, oh, shit, did you have to do that? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Ten minutes before I come in, like I will leave the coffee shop and have to sit in the car for ten minutes because I am, you know, it's that was a big thing. Or I physically shut down. Like I almost shut things down in my head and I can still smile and do all this because I'm masking like, you know, but things have shut down inside me because too much will overwhelm me. And all I'll do is leave. I'll just walk, you know, I'm just like, I'm off. Um, so it's helped me understand things. It's helped me understand other people, I would say. It's helped me understand the condition more. Um, I never had a problem with, like I say, neurodiversity. So it's not like it's helped me love more or whatever, because I was always respectful. Um, and I also think that I want to help other people in leadership, because I think there's more leadership, more leaders with, I would certainly say, certainly say autistic leaders. Um, and I think there's this sort of thing that we have to hide it because we'll get treated in a certain way because autism's, you know, people go, well, it's a disability, isn't it? I don't want to admit I've got a disability. Well, no, it's just a difference. So it's just a difference. And if we're, if we're afraid of differences, then we shouldn't be in leadership because leadership's about bringing in differences. So I think it just needs rebranding maybe a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and and any tips for any for anyone that's listening that either maybe they think they are neurodiverse maybe they're scared to do a test maybe they're in that state you've got any tips for anyone listening I would I would pretty much say if you think you're neurodiverse you probably are because most people don't go most people that are neurotypical don't go I think I'm neurodiverse why would why would it even come into your head but if you if you have then I would go and speak to someone and sometimes trauma can get confused with neurodiversity as well a trauma response so I think whether you, if you think you have it's always worth talking to somebody and actually like I say I've been a very wealthy I'm a very successful person in business in friendships in personal relationships and I am told that I am autistic. I am autistic. I believe I've got ADHD as well. It has never held me back. But you've got to have the courage to work out who you are and and have the courage to walk alone if you need to. You never will. The humans, the, you know, there's too many humans to ever walk alone. But don't just stick to the world that you had. I think we get raised in this school environment, in this job environment, where we think there's nothing beyond that the whole fucking world beyond it you've just got to step out and actually you'll never feel more safe and loved when you actually meet your sort of you know people call it your tribe or whatever but people with commonalities you know who turn up in different ways but with similarities I think I think that's really powerful yeah so, that is so powerful and I think loads of people will resonate listening to that um, so if people want to connect with you find you how can they do that 
I would say um, from what we're talking about, always LinkedIn. I'm on I'm on Instagram, but I'm I'm more talking about social things on there. But um, on if you want anything to do with work, just find me Cheryl Thompson. Um, I'm wondering, yeah, he's just literally Cheryl Thompson, Tough Talk Mentor. That's how you find me because I'm a, a big advocate of having difficult conversations with kindness. And I think we're all dodging difficult conversations. So I help people with that specifically as well. But you find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. And I will put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours. Fascinating. Well, let's do another one. Let's just go for a yeah, coffee. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. What a woman. I absolutely loved my chat with Cheryl and I think she is just such a breath of fresh air. I love her transparency and honesty, putting her earning potential down to her neurodiverse superpower. Like how good is that? We need to get that message out there more. And like I said at the beginning, there are so many women that message me and say they suspect that they are neurodiverse, but they haven't like gone through the process of getting a diagnosis. And I hope that when you listened, whatever position you're in, whether you're managing a team, whether you are you know, aspiring to become a leader or whether you think you might have neurodiversity, whether you're in the process of getting a diagnosis, I hope that this podcast has opened your eyes a little bit and made you think in about the possibilities of either communicating it to your line manager or your place of work and that it's okay to disclose it. And remember, we've got the Disability Act or if you're managing a team, maybe you're going to think about your approach a little bit differently because I think Cheryl just touched on some really, really important points about people management, the human approach. She talked a lot about psychological safety. So I think there's a lot we can learn from this episode. So I really hope you enjoyed. If you haven't already, please join the members club. It's totally free, free uh, masterclasses every month, free training. It's all sitting in the members area. So all the new content gets added there on a weekly basis. We've got free yoga, mindfulness, meditation. Head to the show notes now or head to community.jobsforwomen.co.uk forward slash join. And I will see you next week. Take care of yourselves.